So again, uh, special welcome to you this morning. Happy Easter, everybody. He is risen. That's when you know you're in a Christian church, when people just automatically know how to respond. I remember the first time that happened to me because I kind of didn't grow up in that kind of tradition where someone from the front would say, he is risen, and all the Christians just respond, he's risen indeed. First time I heard that, I was like, what kind of cult did I just step into? Like, it was the weirdest thing. Now, 20 years later, as a follower of Jesus, I can't imagine doing Easter Sunday without it. Um, but that kind of, I got to admit, there, there's a struggle that I have as a pastor. When it comes to Easter, when it comes to those big, you know, the big traditional Christian holidays, can't they just be a little boring? You know, like I was actually I had breakfast with a buddy of mine this week and he said, this week must be your easiest week of the year. I'm looking at him like, why would you say that? He said, well, you just have to take your message from last year. You actually don't need to do any work, right? Like, it's okay, Jesus goes to the cross, he dies, goes in the tomb, resurrected, we read the same story again and again and again. Eh, boring, old hat. And this guy's like, in fact, not only did you do it last year, you did it the year before. And you did it the year before that. And you did it the year before that. I've been preaching now for a long time. And if we're not careful, these very traditional, familiar, big picture holiday stories we can forget ultimately what they're about. So to help us really stay focused this morning on what Easter is all about, I want all of us to do something. Now, don't worry. You don't have to whisper this to the person sitting beside you. I'm not going to ask any of you to stand up and make any kind of confession. I'm not going to make you raise your hands. But I, what I want you to do for a moment to help us fully grasp what Easter is all about I want you to think for a moment about one of your shortcomings. I didn't have enough chocolate for that this morning, Pastor Kevin, to talk about my shortcomings, because I don't have any. <laughs> right? No, I just, seriously, just for a moment, I want you to think of one of your shortcomings. And I realize this is not one of our favorite topics to talk about, because we don't like talking about our shortcomings. We like to talk about other people's shortcomings, right? That's a lot more fun. That's a lot more interesting for us because the reality is you and I personally don't have any shortcomings because when I make a mistake, when I kind of do something, well, there's a reason why I made the mistake. Like, it's excusable. Like, it, it was a mistake. I, I didn't mean it. It was, it was an accident, that person, when they do the exact same thing, they're a horrible human being who should be shot in the leg, <laughs> right? There's no excuse for them, but boy, oh boy, there's lots of excuses for me. <laughs> Isn't that the way we deal with our shortcomings? So think for a moment that shortcoming. That thing is like, eh, I really wish this wasn't a part of my life. I really wish this wasn't a part of my character. I wish this wasn't kind of the, that part of who I am. I really wish, and that part might be public, the person sitting beside you might be going like this, going, I hope you're thinking about what I'm thinking about. Okay, don't do that. That's not cool. Okay? But your shortcoming might be secret, that nobody else knows about it. And I do want you to think about it, because it's so important to grasp that as we talk about Easter. Because, again, the default is not to focus on our shortcomings, because we like to compare ourselves to other people. Well, at least I'm not as bad as him. <laughs> Okay, I may not be the perfect husband, but at least I'm not like that guy. I may 
may not be the perfect wife, but at least I'm not like her. I may not, you know, you know, steal that much money from my company. I don't steal as much as that guy does. At least I haven't killed anybody. You know what I mean? We make up these excuses all the time. So I want us to just think for a moment about that shortcoming. And for me, it's actually not that hard. <laughs> and my wife is giggling, so that just made me really nervous. Okay? It's not that hard to think of my shortcomings. And, and I can think back on, on the whole kind of course of my life. Like, I can actually remember 20 years ago. 20 years ago, I'm, kind of, I'm a computer consultant, and I am living the life. I am living the, like, I have everything going for me. I have an amazing job. I'm traveling all over the world with this job. I was like in my 20s. I'm 26 years old. And my company, God bless them, were they dumb? No, I'm just, <laughs> they gave me a platinum American Express card. Do you know where you can go with a platinum American Express card? Anywhere you want. Any airport, any VIP lounge, any restaurant, any hotel, you get all the upgrades and all the perks, and I'm living it up, loving everything the world has to offer me. And through kind of some bizarre circumstances, I get my hands on a Bible, and I'm reading this Bible on my commute to work in Montreal on the train that I used to take into the city. And I'm reading this not because I'm a Christian, not because I'm trying to draw closer to God or hear God's voice in my life. I'm reading this because I'm the guy who's going to disprove the existence of God once and for all. One of my shortcomings is arrogance and pride and a complete lack of humility. I'm going to be the guy who finally figures this out. I'm going to finally prove that God is a sham, that the church is a joke. It's just for dumb people to steal their money. <laughs> and so I start reading it. And I start in Genesis. And Genesis is cool. Okay, I remember all these stories. I remember Adam and Eve. I remember the flood. I remember Abraham. And I remember these stories from growing up. Then I get into Leviticus. And I'm like, what the heck is going on with Leviticus? Like, what, why are we talking about infectious skin diseases and boils and hairs that are rotting in people's skin? And why on earth do they have to go see the priest with that stuff? Go to your doctor? Thank God we live in the New Testament era today where you don't come to me with your infectious skin diseases. Okay, go to your doctor. Don't come see me if you have a boil. I don't want to deal with it. You will be picking me up from the floor. Okay. But that's what they had to do. And you're looking at all these Old Testament laws and commands. And okay, so I plowed through it and I get through it. Okay, I get through. Okay, King David. I get him. Oh, Esther. I remember him. Oh, Job. I remember him. Stinks to be that guy. Okay, Psalms. I remember that. Oh, now we get into these Old Testament prophets and talk about the end of the world. Oh, that's cool. I love like books like, you know, movies like The Omen and science fiction and stuff like that. Oh, the Antichrist. That's awesome. Okay. And then I get to this guy called Jesus. And the Jesus I'm reading about is not the Jesus I thought I knew. Because I kind of believed, kind of, you know, as a, as a little kid, kind of growing up in kind of this Christian environment, is you need to sit down, shut up, or God doesn't like you. you got to be good. You better behave. Or the nuns would start kind of going crazy and start getting mad at you and pull out the ruler. You have to be good or God hates you. But when I'm reading this, I'm like, wow, God loves me. Even though I have shortcomings, the Bible calls those shortcomings sin. 
And even though I have sin in my life, even though I'm not perfect, even though I have all this secret stuff that nobody knows about but me, God loves me and has accepted me. And he sent Jesus to die for me. And so I gave my life to that on that commute to work. And I was all excited about this. And I started telling all my friends about this, this newness of life, this what you can have with Jesus. Well, my friends weren't too happy about that. You see, um, I don't know if you know this or not, but non-church people think jur- church people are judgmental. Did you know that? Did you know non-church people think church people are judgmental? That's so weird. I didn't know they knew that. I'm being a little sarcastic here. Okay, I don't know if you can tell. Why do they think we're judgmental? Maybe because we're judgmental. Right? Maybe we're kind of missing the point of Easter. It's not about their shortcomings. It's about my shortcomings. It's about our shortcomings. And that's what the message of Easter is all about. So this is what I want to focus on for a little bit. I know traditionally on Easter Sunday, I should be reading March, Mark chapter 16 about the resurrection of Jesus, but I was bored this week. And so instead, I'm going to read from Mark chapter 15. And I want to read about the death of Jesus. I know I should have done this on Friday, but... Um, I didn't preach on Friday, so I'm going to read it today. Okay? If you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open up to Mark chapter 15. If you don't own a Bible, there's one in the chair in front of you. You can take it and you can keep it as our gift to you. If you're watching online, you can go to uversion.com and download a Bible on your mobile device as well. Mark chapter 15, and I think this passage this this in this in mark's account of the death of jesus there's something in here that is so incredibly important for us to grasp if we fully want to embrace the message of easter so let's read here mark chapter 15 starting at verse uh, 33 it says that darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon and at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they say, listen, he's calling to Elijah. Elijah was one of the prophets of old, this man of power and authority. And they thought Jesus is now calling to this Elijah to return from heaven to save him from the cross. Instead of kind of trembling in fear over that thought, they begin to mock him about it. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. And said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion... The Roman centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died. He said, surely this man is the son of God. And some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and of Solomon. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. So in these short few verses, it's like Mark is kind of just running through this. It's like he's running a thousand miles a minute. It's like he's had a lot of coffee and a lot of chocolate. And he's just plowing through these verses. He's taking this big, huge event 
that went over the course of hours and just saying, boom, 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 this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. And we as Christians, we just kind of read it that way. This happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. But hidden in here, and this isn't some like secret holy thing that only the wisest people can see. It's right here. You can open up your Bible and you can see this for yourself. That right here in the middle of this section is what I believe is the entire heart of the Christian message. You want to know what Christianity is all about? It's right here. And it's verse 38 where it says this. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now that might make no sense to some of you. So let me explain this a little bit and how that statement is at the heart of the Easter message. It's the heart of the Christian faith. The curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. You see, some distance away from where Jesus was crucified was the Temple of Solomon. This is the Jewish temple where the people of Israel worshipped God. And the temple was built in such a way with very clear instructions by God to his people on how this thing is built because it helped people in their progression to draw closer to God. It was built very specifically and only certain people could go into certain parts of the temple. For example, if you were not Jewish, if you were maybe Greek or Roman or from another country, if you weren't, from, if you weren't a Hebrew, there was actually stones in a part of the temple, and there were signs carved into these stones, and it said, if you go past this point, we will kill you. Because they were very guarded of the, of the temple to keep it what they called clean. You had to keep the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, over here. There's a special section for the people of God. If you're not of God, you can come, but you need to stay back there. Can you imagine if church was like that? We have all these special seats for the church people, but anyone who's visiting the church, oh, you're not allowed to sit in these rows. You better not sit in my chair. You need to sit out there. You're not welcome here. That's how the temple was built. Very, very clear places where certain people were allowed to go. So first you had the place where the non-Jewish people could go. Then you had the place where the women had to stop. And the women were only allowed to go up to a certain distance. And then the men were allowed to go to a certain spot. And then the priests were allowed to go to a certain spot. All to draw closer to God. And what we actually when we learn about this, um, this temple, is that in the temple was a room called the holy place. The holy place. And at the back of the room was a large curtain. And this curtain blocked off another room, which is called the most holy place. Or maybe your translation of the Bible calls it the holy of holies. Like, it doesn't get any holier than this. <laughs> Any place on the planet is not as holy as this room. Because in this room, there is the full 
presence of God there. And that full presence of God's holiness had to be blocked from people. They put up a curtain to keep people away from it. A thick, heavy curtain or veil was used as a barrier between God and man. And only the high priest could enter the most holy place. We can actually read about that in Hebrews chapter 9. It talks about this most holy place in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 6. It says, when everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. The ministry of the priests were to bring sacrifices before the people of God, to basically so that you could have your sins forgiven. They'd sacrifice lambs and goats and birds, or they'd bring, you know, incense, or you'd bring flour and grain and things like that, and you'd bring it to the priests, and they would make an offering, a sacrifice for your behalf. And then it continues in verse 7, it says, But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without, without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. You see, when you think about your shortcomings, it's easy to think about the stuff that you know you did wrong. But when here it's talking about this priest who goes into the presence of the Holy of Holies, making a blood sacrifice, not for the shortcomings that we know about, but for the shortcomings that we've even done in complete and total ignorance. Right? The word ignorant is kind of where we get the English word like idiot. It doesn't mean stupid. It doesn't mean that you're not smart. It doesn't mean that you're not intelligent. It means you have no clue you've even done it. That we have, I have, you have shortcomings that we're not even aware of. And once a year, the priest would bring a blood sacrifice into the most holy place, into the full presence of God, and make an offering for us, a sacrifice for the sins we know about, the shortcomings we know about, and the shortcomings that we had no clue we were even doing so that we could be forgiven. This had to be done every year. Every year, the high priest had to go through the barrier. And Mark just throws in this one little verse, this one little statement to show that something incredible had just taken place. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What happened here, the death of Jesus made the most holy place accessible to everyone. The most holy place, the full presence of God is not just for the select few. It's not just for the ones who qualify to go past this barrier. It's not for the ones who qualify for the next barrier. It's not the ones who qualify to the barrier after that and the barrier after that and the barrier after that. It's fully open and accessible for everyone. You see, this curtain was 60 feet high. This curtain was 30 feet across. This curtain was 4 inches thick. How many of you sew? I sew. Men, you can sew. Sewing machine is just another power tool. It's okay. Just another power tool. Some of my best injuries are on a sewing machine. Man, you women who sew, man, you're tough because that sucker is a deadly machine. 
many of you have done like tapestry or, or quilts or anything like that? Anyone here? Okay, you all have radically different hobbies. The quilters were in the first service. But I want you, all right, how many of you sleep with a blanket? Okay, most of you. Okay, great. Okay, Whew, I'm grasping here. Think of the blanket that you use to sleep. Try and rip it with your bare hands. Try that tonight when you go home. Hey, I need a new comforter. Okay, you want to redecorate your bedroom. Now imagine a curtain 60 feet high. No human being could get up there fast enough and tear it by themselves. Because the temple guards would see them climbing 60 feet and stop them long before they could cause any damage. The curtain was four inches thick. Men, tonight at Easter dinner, take out a phone book and rip it. And the other server said, what, the other server, they said, what's a phone book? <laughs> we don't, exactly, what's a phone book? Get a big old thick book, four inches, and try and tear it. No human being could do that. And the death of Jesus, the curtain was torn from top to bottom. Sixty feet, four inches thick, to make the most holy of holy places available to everybody the most holy place is available for everyone to enter right it was your shortcoming it was my shortcomings that kept me from the presence of god but jesus made the presence of god available to all people and that's what easter is all about right the death and resurrection of jesus We should take time to remember our shortcomings. We should remember that the veil has been torn. This should never become boring. This should never become so common that we don't even think about it. The full presence of God has been made available to you, even though you still have shortcomings. How many of you, let's be honest, okay, for a little bit, You don't have to share it. You don't have to tell it out loud. Just simply raise your hands. How many of you gave in to one of your shortcomings in the last few weeks? Raise your hand. It's okay. We're all friends here. If you're watching on Facebook, just click the thumbs up. Yeah, you're there, okay? Now, how many of you, maybe you gave in to your shortcoming on the way to Easter service at church? Well, that's just me. Okay. Sunday mornings always seem to be the day when my shortcomings come out. Because, you know, I only work one day a week. And, you know, and all week long I make sure, I don't, I work actually a lot more than that. But I, all week long I make sure everybody gets to what they've got to get to on time. But boy, can we get to where I have to go to on time? My eye twitch comes out, and I'm like, and I'm like, and the pastor Kevin is like sinning, and you know, like, I need to get to work. How many of you, if you're honest, you know deep down, even though you don't want to, at some point in the next few weeks, you'll probably give in to that shortcoming again. See, that's the human condition. And for some reason in our humanness, we think, I can't come into the presence of God. I need to clean up my life first. 
I need to deal with my shortcomings first, and then I'll think about God, come close to God. If I could fix this, if I could deal with that, if I could mend this, then I'll enter into the presence of God. And the message of Easter is the exact opposite to that. The message of Easter is the full holiness of God is available even though we have shortcomings, even though we have sin. And we can step into that holy presence of God in complete confidence, not because we've dealt with our shortcomings, but because God has dealt with our shortcomings. He dealt with it. He makes us new. He makes us holy. He cleans us up. And it doesn't mean life is always going to be easy. doesn't mean that all of our problems are going to go away. But it means each and every one of us have access to come into the full presence of God because the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Dealt with. Every one of your sins dealt with. And the resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate on Easter Sunday morning affirms his power, affirms his authority. It proves to the world who he, who he is. I think sometimes we think that Christianity is a blind faith. I'm a math and science guy. I didn't come to the faith in Jesus blindly. I used my head. I did the math. I worked it out. And when I studied it, and I evaluated it, and I compared it to everything else that the world has to offer, I came to the conclusion this is the only thing that can be true. Because why would these 12 men who have seen the resurrected Jesus, and we read throughout the Gospels and in the book of Acts, hundreds of people who have seen the resurrected Jesus, why would they lie about it? To start a cult? To start a new religion? You don't go into religion for money and women. Not the way it works. These men went into it and died for what they saw to be true. No one's going to die for a lie. And they did. And that's what Easter is about. That this presence of God that we can come into. So sometimes when we're thinking, I'm not good enough, not religious enough, we have to just get over that and say, the curtain has been torn in two. I can come into the full presence of God. And that's my prayer for all of us, that we would live that kind of life, knowing that the fullness of the Holy of Holies is available to each and every one of us. For those of us who've accepted Jesus, whether it's a few days ago or whether it's 80 years ago, you are living in the full presence of God. Because we don't go to a building anymore to come into the presence of God. We don't have to go into a certain room behind an altar, behind a tabernacle, in a special closet. The full holiness of God is right here with us. When Jesus rose from the dead, ascended back to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to come and make you holy. Make you the temple. And we, and, and, and we receive that so simply. Not because we're religious, not because we keep the rules, but because we accept that Jesus died for us. That we believe that he rose from the dead. 
The Bible says if you want that holiness of holiness to be with you and to be in you, all you got to do is just believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sin and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I did that 20 years ago on a train. I had no clue what I was doing. (laughs) But I wouldn't change a thing. On that train, I said, God, just take my life. Thank you for dying for me. Even though I'm not perfect. Even though everyone thinks I'm great, but I know what's going on in here. I know what's going on in here. And I know how I'm using these. And I know how I'm living my life for myself. God, take my life and make me new. Thank you for dying for me. And on that train, Kevin died. And a new creation stepped off that train. The the veil was torn in two from top to bottom. And if you're here today or if you're watching online, you could pray that real simply as well. Even today, you don't need to take a course. You don't have to go to seminary. It's really that simple. And for those of us who have done that, God wants to use you. Because the Holy of Holies is in you and he wants that holiness to spread in our city, in our schools, in our workplace, in our community, in our country and around the world. Because we don't hide the Holy of Holies behind the curtain anymore. Because the veil is torn in two. Let's pray together. Father God, we are so grateful that we can come to this place as your children, as your family, and be reminded of what Jesus has done for us. That he died for us. That while we were still sinners, he died for us. So that we could be made new. So that we could have our sins dealt with. So that we could have the presence of God come into our lives. And Lord, sometimes, that, even now, sometimes I say those words and it sounds like crazy talk. But it's the truth. And I've seen it, and I've witnessed it, and I continue to see it, and I continue to see you changing people's lives, God. Not through our religious tradition, but through your power at work in people's lives. And so, God, today we praise you, Father. Today we praise you, Jesus the Son. Today we praise you, Spirit. The Godhead three in one, we worship you for what you did that Easter morning so many years ago that you made the holiness of God available to all people. The veil has been torn. 